podcast with your host, Jake Weaver, engineered by Cedric Swan. Hello, everyone. We're back with another incredible episode of Midnight on Earth. In this episode, we have a very, very special guest, Archbishop James Cloud. We're going to meet James Cloud, but I just want to say a few things very quickly. First, please subscribe to our Instagram. Go to our Instagram page. It's the at symbol midnight underscore on underscore earth. Come to our Instagram page. Follow us. Don't forget to follow us on Spotify. We're on all the platforms, Apple Podcasts, Audible, Google, every single one you can think of. And please don't forget to tell a friend www.midnightonearth.com. Okay, so we are here with Archbishop James Cloud, and guess what we're talking about today? Ladies and gentlemen, we are talking about exorcism. We're talking about demonic possession. We're talking about the darker side of the spiritual spectrum, some of these beings that exist in that spectrum. But let me tell you about James Cloud. James Cloud has been an exorcist for over 20 years. Born in Stockton, California, he and his family moved to Oregon when he was 17. His father, a Pentecostal minister, opened a church in the central Oregon town of Lapine. And as a boy, Cloud would tag along with his father on home ministries. At age four, he began to see shadow people, which we're going to talk to him about, mysterious dark spirits, which initiated his lifelong fascination with the paranormal. Cloud was consecrated as Bishop of Advent International Catholic Church in 2012, an old Catholic church based in West Virginia. In early 2016, the presiding Bishop of Advent International Archbishop Kevin Tuhig elevated Cloud to Archbishop and later that year bestowed upon him the stately title of Superior for Advent International's Order of Exorcists. Bishop Cloud is an affiliated member of the Sacred Order of St. Michael, the Archangel's Order of Exorcists, and that was a California-based organization led by Archbishop Ron Fail, who purports to recruit and train exorcists worldwide. I want to know about Ron. And also... Also, James Cloud works with a group called PRISM, the Paranormal Research Investigators of St. Michael. They're a Southern Oregon-based team that's dedicated to helping individuals and families who've endured infestation and oppression in their homes and lives due to the influence of evil spirits. It's an extension of James' ministry, and he seeks to partner with them you know, in their private callings to fight the good fight and protect those who wish to investigate and intervene. And I just want to say thank you so much for being here, Archbishop Cloud. Oh, you're very welcome. We Always s- happy to come on shows and share. Yeah, and get the word out. And and I just, I'm so fascinated by what you do. I'm so, there's so much good in the world right now, and there's so much evil, and you're fighting the fr- on the front lines. You're on the front lines fighting against these evil forces. And I just want to say right off the bat, I just want to say thank you. I know on behalf of our listeners, I want to say thank you for doing this. Because 
Oh, without, you're welcome. Yeah. You know, it, it was it was one of those things. <clears throat> it's kind of like the the adage, you know, the thug life didn't choose. I didn't choose the thug life. The thug life chose chose me. And honestly, it's the same way with being an exorcist because I have had experiences ever since I was a kiddo. So, uh, unfortunately for our listeners, they don't get to see what I see. I get to see Archbishop Cloud. In his home, he's a beautiful picture of Jesus behind him. Actually, a couple pictures of Jesus. He's very focused on his spirituality. I love those pictures. And I want to talk to you about your spirituality because there's, and we Mm -hmm. can just, let's start at the beginning. So you're with your dad and you're doing these home ministries, but then at age four, you start seeing these shadow people. Now, what does that look like? What are these shadow people? What did you see at four years old? Well, so my story at four is actually even bigger and weirder than just seeing the shadow people. So <clears throat> at age four, I actually was abducted by a UFO. Go figure. Um, and my parents saw the, the craft and whatnot. And uh, ever since that, um, do you remember I've seeing shadow people and such. Do you remember anything about your alien abduction experience? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's come back to me over time, over the years. <clears throat> and each time it does, it, it's uh, uh, when uh, a new memory is unlocked, it, it kind of takes my breath away. And I kind of sit back and just think, my God, you know, what, what went on I was for. But unfortunately, or fortunately, if people are groovy with it, um, my family line not only has experienced the um, what folks would commonly know as psychic ability, but also at age four, um, throughout the family line, we've been contacted. So, and I have zero idea why, but yes, I remember. Um, so we've heard about this for myself. We've heard about this. In if you UFO want to hear circles. the story, I'll tell you the whole story of uh, that abduction experience. I want to hear all of it. We have all the time in the world. There's no limits here at midnight on earth. We can go six hours, whatever you're comfortable with. I want to hear all the <laughs> stories, but what I want to just kind of highlight is that you pointed out that your family line, your ancestors, you know, your aunts, your grandparents, they also have had alien encounters, potentially even alien abduction experiences. And they followed you. And this is something that, let me tell you, we're all about UFOs and alien abduction experiences here on Midnight on Earth. We actually interviewed the Oregon MUFON director in an early, oh, earlier okay. episode, and he told us a lot of the different things that are going on locally here in Oregon. And what I've learned in my ufology studies is that many people talk about how their families are followed over time as generations and generations progress uh, somehow they're being contacted continually, the children, the grandchildren. Now, whether they're monitoring the DNA strain, they're monitoring whether whatever modifications may have come into play earlier, we don't really know. It's all speculation. But there is a concrete and also uh, repeated story from abductees about following the family line. So let's hear that story. All right. Well, I'll, I'll start with my mom's experience, and then I'll, I'll share with you mine. Okay. So... My mom's experience happened down in the San Joaquin Delta uh, around Stockton, California. That's where I was born. And um, in her experience, she she told me that she was playing in an old pig pen that didn't have pigs in it anymore. Uh, it was dry earth, 
And so she was just playing in the pig pen, making, you know, a, a dollhouse or some odd thing. And as she was playing this small, as she described it, a reptile looking alien thing came up to her. It, it looked like a, a lizard standing on two feet. Um, the and she said they spoke with their minds. Go ahead. Oh, I just said the reptilians, they come up time and time again. It's a very common experience. We were actually just talking about the reptilians in a pre and actually last episode. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, that's what my mom said. And she said, uh, so I asked her, I said, well, what happened after that? She goes, well, we just played a little bit and then it disappeared. And that was it for her. Um, fast forward to 1976, my experience when I was four. Um, I remember playing with my uh, Tonka trucks in the dirt and my parents were up the steps of the porch and my, my mom, my dad, and my grandmother were sitting on the porch and so they were up and to the right of me. And I'm just minding my own business playing with my Tonka trucks and all of a sudden, I hear them kind of gasp and utter a couple expletives. <laughs> and no, probably no further than 100, 150 feet above us was three triangle-shaped craft. Ooh, excuse me. They had a white light on each tip and a solid... Well, it wasn't solid. It was an undulating red light in the middle. And they were in a triangle formation. So three triangles in a triangle formation. And they were just sitting there above our heads. And they, they were silent. Um, I noticed what looked like... Um, closest thing I can compare it to is when the heat rises off a hot road in the summer and you see a little distortion coming up from the ground. Kind of like heat waves. Well, this, yeah. Okay. This was coming down from the bottom of the craft and Whoa. the heat wave was basically going pointed down. Um, and they were silent, you know, didn't do anything. Uh, underneath, it looked like there were interlocking plates of some sort. Um, and literally, they didn't move uh, or shimmy or anything. They just, like they got stuck in the middle of the air and they're sitting there. And my grandmother, she tended to get emotional. And so she was like, I hope they're not going to hurt us. And my mom and dad kind of were looking at each other, didn't even know what to say. And then these things went from over our head to over the horizon in, in a blink of an eye, a, a snap of a finger, if you will. Wow. Um, but that was the end for them. That night, I was awakened in my bed to the sound of like a, a thrumming. It was like this whoa, whoa, whoa sound. And as a kid, I, I was more curious than scared because kids don't have a frame of reference for much anything at that age. And so I remember getting up out of bed and the next memory I have, I'm standing in our living room and the sound is, is, you know, continuing that thrumming sound, the wall, wall, wall. And, but in the middle of the living room as well, 
were blue, green, red, and white orbs of light. And they were moving all around the living room. And as the sound started speeding up, the orbs of light started speeding up as well. And so eventually it reached this crescendo of light and sound. And all of these orbs, probably a dozen at least, were zipping all around me, this loud thrumming. And I remember feeling like I was almost caught up in the moment, just almost enthralled or something with this sound and light show. And as it reached the highest fevered pitch, it just stopped. The lights were gone. The thrumming was gone. And it was dark and silent. Out of the middle of the living room, I noticed a, a small gold orb start to form. As it did, the orb itself got bigger and bigger and bigger until this thing stepped out of the orb, almost like a, a portal opening or some odd thing. Um, it, it, it had the physical uh, measurements and everything of like a, a modern gray alien would have. However, this guy was not gray. There was nothing gray about him. Um, his skin was golden, and he had golden honey brown eyes. The same big eyes, but honey gold. So you're saying and, this is like not, not a gray, but an actual in the same shape of a gray, but golden skin and honey gold eyes. Absolutely. Wow. And there, there wasn't anything like covering the eyes or anything else. So I actually saw the irises of this entity. Um, and they were also like a, a beautiful golden honey brown, but they almost seem illuminated at, at when I would look at it, like there was light in the iris itself. And he and I locked eyes and he opened his arms and said, James, come with me. And, you know, being four, I just said, okay. And we talked with our mind. It, we didn't use words. So it was a, like a telepathic thing. Right. And my next memory is I'm walking with this entity in, I can't say it was a ship or anything like that because I didn't see a ship. Um, but I was in like a, a long, uh, I guess the size of it would be like a high school amphitheater where they would do their little small plays and whatnot, kind of, kind of that size and along going the direction I was facing, there were long, um, consoles or something of some sort going from where I was all the way to the end of the hall or the, not a hall, but like a music hall. Yeah. Like that space uh, size. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And I'm, I'm walking and I'm seeing a bunch of others that look just like this guy at different parts on the console and whatnot. Um, there's like this large screen or something at one end of the hall at the far end. And it, it's showing like, uh, planetary stuff that uh, in my mind's eye, it almost is like, 
different stars and different uh, configurations and, and whatnot. So as we're walking, he's telling me we serve the great king. And, uh, you know, at four, I'm not, I don't have the capacity to say, oh, well, what's that mean? That kind of thing. I'm just like, oh, okay. And, um, did you relate it to your dad's kind of home ministries at all? Because you did have a little bit of frame of reference of like a spiritual figure at that point where you, when he said that, did you kind of relate it to the traditional Christian situation? No. Cause see, my dad converted to Christianity right around the age of four. For okay. Me. Oh, okay. Um, was it after that event? So, <laughs> was that, huh? was it after that event? Was that the, uh, the catalyst that made him switch or <laughs> maybe huh? I have no idea. I interesting no timing. Idea. It's really interesting timing, but go ahead with your story. It's it beautiful. Is. Yeah. Um, and he proceeded to tell me about things that were coming cataclysms and other things and that I would remember it when the time was right, basically. Okay. And so after we had, we were walking and talking and I don't remember the specific, uh, events that he told me about. I just know the general motif of them by memory. Um, but I remember next we were walking, uh, we had kind of went down and around the, the, one of these long consoles and we're going back up the direction we'd come from and there was uh, a seat against a, a wall in the back of the hall um, that had three seats on it. So it, it was like a half circle with three seats. Um, and the, the half of the circle was up against the wall. And then of course the rest of the circle was seating. And in the other two seats were two other kids and they were plugged into something, but they looked fine. They weren't, didn't appear in pain or anything. And he sat me down on the middle seat because they were in the two side seats of the half circle. And uh, the last thing I remember for that event was them getting like a, a silver tube of some sort and putting it at the back of my head. And I don't remember any pain with it or anything like that. My next memory is that I was waking up and I was telling my mom about talking with the silver robot guy, my own words, uh, all night that previous night. And yeah. So you, it you, happened. So you're in the craft, you go through, they talk about some of the cataclysms and things that are coming ahead. Do you remember anything that they told you? about that or is that that's something that's going to come to you later based on what they said they said you were going to remember it when the time's right time isn't right yeah. yet <laughs> not yet <laughs> <laughs> what an incredible but, story and that's just yeah. the beginning this is the beginning so there's something special about you already there's something special about you and this is before you perform your exorcisms this is before you take your spiritual path um, you're kind yep. of on a spiritual path because you're a young guy and your dad's super spiritual, but this is before yep. all that. So you're already special. There's something special about you. The extraterrestrials know it. And now, and now yep. you, you, you made the choice to be more spiritual. So now after all that happened, do you feel like that affected your spirituality and, and kind of pulled you towards a more spiritual life at a young age? 
How did that, you know, like, how did that experience affect you in the long term? Do you think? For me, it broadened my mind to understand that there's a lot out there that has not been discovered or discussed over the years, uh, both within and outside of the church. Um, but I, I was able to find some sort of reconciliation with that when I looked at the description of what's known as the Watchers. Yes, or, the Book of Enoch. Yeah. I was actually going to ask you about, Enoch. I was actually, I, I was going to ask you about the Book of Enoch. It's on my list of questions to ask you. Mm -hmm. But tell me more about that. Tell me more about the Watchers from your perspective. Well, see, the Watchers were initially tasked with watching over the earth, um, maintaining the different cycles of the earth and whatnot. And at some point, first of all, in Genesis 6, um, Genesis 6, 1 through 4. Of, For the people that don't know, it's, that? it's Genesis 6, chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. For people that don't know, they should go. That's the first mention of the sons of God, of the watchers. Go ahead, Archbishop. Just wanted okay. to point that out for um, people. Yeah, great reference, too. I, in my mind, I just knew Genesis 6. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, they were tasked with watching over the earth. And when you look at Genesis 6, some of them fell to temptation and lust and cohabitated with human females, um, creating uh, the hybrids known as the Nephilim, Rephaim, Anakim, Right. And those guys. So w real quick, um, based, the on, based on that, could we say that our earth women, human women are the most beautiful creatures in the entire universe. They're so beautiful that even extra dimensional, <laughs> potentially, well, they were potentially angels at the time. I don't think they were even cast out at that point. Um, they were attracted to human women. So we can just say the, the women of earth are the most beautiful creatures of all time. Should we say that? Sure. Why not? <laughs> I've if always you can thought... cause the angelic host to fall just by batting an eyelash, well, I think I... you got something going on. I always thought that was so interesting that I'm like, wow, they, you know, human women must be the thing if they're willing to uh, procreate and have these sons well, of God, the giants. See, I've, I've told folks this too. <laughs> if you're looking at just raw biology, <clears throat> it, these watchers had to have been so close to us genetically. One, they, they can't be a spirit because spirits don't have DNA. Correct. Uh, and so these watchers had to, one, have DNA, had to have sperm, uh, you know, a way of reproduction. Um, and we're so close genetically, we could actually breed with each other, albeit in a hybrid form. But just pulling that down to, to regular biology, a dog can't mate with a cat and create a half-breed naturally because they're too far genetically apart. However, the watchers and mankind are so close genetically that they can have offspring. I never thought of that. Yeah. It's a big so thought. Watchers are, are not angels in, in the strictest sense of the term. They are some physical entity that is of a higher, slightly higher level than us, but 
um, do have physical bodies, do have DNA, do have sperm, so, obviously. So you feel like, Archbishop, that the watchers that we talk about in the Book of Enoch, and we're going to back up and talk about the Book of Enoch in just a second, but the watchers aren't from the angelic realm. They're not part of the third an- third of the angels that were cast out supposedly in the Genesis story with the with the battle you know, between the uh, Satan and God and, and, and the, the, how hell was created. So you're saying the Watchers was were not a part of that. They're their own separate group. Maybe they're extraterrestrials. Maybe they're not. But their DNA and their physicalness has to be so close to ours. Otherwise, we wouldn't be able to procreate. Absolutely. So that, that, And these, these otherworldly entities are also under the command of God. Otherwise, God wouldn't have punished them for negating their task and corrupting humanity as described in the book of Enoch. So these are a created being under the authority of God that chose to, you know, (laughs) go their own separate way, if you will. It's hard. Look, I realize women are beautiful, too. Look, I get it. It's (laughs) like, you know, what if they came up to you? What if a watcher came up to you and said, look, dude. She was so beautiful. I, 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 I was thinking about God, but then, but then I don't know what happened. <laughs> yep. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Well, it's like, well, she winked at me and she was kind of cute and but things happened. Let's back up a bit and, and tell people that don't know what the book of Enoch is, because for people that don't know, the book of Enoch was actually a part of the traditional Bible, the, the combination of the Old Testament, and the New Testament for a really mm-hmm. long time. And it was voted out at one point. I don't remember the exact council of the year, but at one point it was voted out by a council and they decided to remove it from the Bible that we know of today as the Bible in the Old Testament. But previously the book of Enoch was actually in the Old Testament and it's actually referenced in other books of the Bible. They talk about the book of Enoch. So in the book of Enoch, in a nutshell, if you could, for our listeners, describe who Enoch was what his role was, and then talk about how he was kind of an advocate for the Watchers at one point. Yeah, so Enoch was, uh, is anyone can look it up. He, he's one of the generation of Adam, um, that generation before the flood of Noah, lived an exceptionally long life because the conditions on earth were much different and they were much closer genetically to the perfect body that we were initially created with. Um, And Enoch, if I'm not mistaken, was the father of Methuselah, the oldest man recorded to live. And it was 989 years if memory serves. Um, But Enoch, it's recorded in the scripture that he, he walked with God, quote unquote, and was not. In other words, he, he was so close in relationship with God the Father that he was considered such a good friend of God that God simply took him home. And Enoch is not recorded as actually dying. Right, he just kind of ascended. He just kind of like dematerialized into a higher dimension, the the God heaven dimension. Yeah, or you know what? We could even we could even theorize, you know, that maybe he was taken in his normal body to another place, maybe same place that some of these watchers are from. That's uh, on a different uh, 
dimensional phase or however i mean we could go down the rabbit hole sure sure sure. um but all we know is enoch did not die but Uh, he was simply taken didn't enoch if i remember this correctly it's been a while since i've read decades since i've read the book of enoch but isn't it true that some of the watchers and some of the angels that had rebelled wanted to Mm -hmm. they felt bad about it they felt like they made a mistake and they wanted to yeah. go back. They wanted to go back to heaven. They realized they messed up and they wanted Enoch to be like their lawyer kind of advocate, like <laughs> helping them, like petitioning God, be like, look, Enoch, can you help me out, please? Like I, I messed up. Yeah. I should not have listened to say, I don't know. I was drunk that day. Like now I'm stuck in <laughs> hell. Can you please help me out, Enoch? Like it did it kind of happen that way or dude, <laughs> bad choices were made, man. <laughs> <laughs> you know, once you make the choice like that, but isn't it true though, that, that the According to the book of Enoch, that 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 did take place, that some of those watchers, those beings did want to go back. Yeah. You know, actually, um, if I'm not mistaken, all of them realized the mistake they had made, um, but the damage was done. And so they had asked Enoch to basically go before God, be their intercessor or lawyer, if you will, (laughs) and try to get them back in God's good graces. So Enoch or God called the watchers and said, you're asking a man to intercede for you when you're the ones that are, were supposed to intercede for men. And because you didn't, and you basically failed, you're, you're out of here. You're, you're cast off. Uh, ultimately the watchers that fell were bound in what's known as the bottomless pit. Um, where they sit to this day, the ones that fell. Now, not all of the watchers fell, and not all of the watchers um, corrupted themselves or made these bonehead choices when they knew better and could actually see God face to face versus you know, us humans that rely on faith to see. Um, they could literally walk up to heaven itself. Right. to some degree. So they were without excuse, whereas us humans were given grace because, well, we can't see God. Right. Um, we don't, we can't walk up to the gates of heaven and go, oh yeah, well, there you are. Okay. That ends that debate. But these watchers could, and some of them made the choice they got stuck and they're where they're at now, the hell, what we would call hell. But now mm-hmm. there's some watchers that are still around that didn't make the bad choice are they still yep. watching us? Are they still influencing yes. our affairs in a positive way? Are they working with world leaders? What's your opinion on that? So I don't believe that the the righteous watchers are working with world leaders. That, that wasn't their task. Their task was to basically monitor the earth, make sure we don't blow ourselves up, that kind of thing. Um, however, it does seem like there are other forces at work that do work with world governments. Um, and that those are the ones that maybe have fallen after the account in the book of Enoch for whatever other reason it was. Yeah. And then nobody wrote it down. Nobody wrote it down. Who knows what's transpired since then? You know, nobody's writing it down. We just have what happened thousands of years ago. Who knows if there's been more that's transpired. Oh, absolutely. You know, and 
it could have been tens of thousands of years ago when the events in Enoch uh, occurred. So we really don't know as far, oh, excuse me, as far as the timeline itself goes, um, what's really happened with the Watchers. The only indicator we have is in, I believe it's Psalm 82, when God sits in the divine council. So this is a council of initially immortal beings that God sits in the council and receives reports on from around the universe itself, not just the earth. Um, but this council was tasked with overseeing the earth, just like the watchers. So it's pretty easy to assume that this is probably the watchers as well. In Psalm 82, <clears throat> God lays into the divine council and says, because you favored the the wicked, because you favored those that oppress people, etc., etc., you get the gist. Um, he said, like mortal men, you will die. Now, that was their judgment. Their immortality was stripped from them. So that could be some of the bad guys that work with a lot of these world governments um, trying to work against the plans of God because they figure, well, uh, we'll just stick it to God any way we can, and they do. And do you think that's part of the technological push for life extension technologies and other means because their DNA, their physical bodies are so close to ours that they now are not immortal anymore. And now they want to retain their immortality and say, ha ha. Right. I, you know, they want to spite God sure. and they're using these, they're trying to develop these life extension technologies. They're searching for these cancer cells that, uh, metastasize in a way that actually extend life. They're doing everything they can to escape judgment. Do you think that's part of that? Sure. It could easily be part of it. Um, because they know that, once they die, there's only one place they're going to go. <laughs> and so <laughs> so they're going to use and abuse anyone in their path to try and regain the more immortality that was stripped from them. Because, but, and, and you got to think, too, us humans were created immortal. We were created in the Garden of Eden as immortal beings. Um, it was only until we ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, that we were warned, hey, you eat the fruit, you're going to die. And I, I honestly believe it was a test to see if we were worthy of, of immortality. Um, and of course, we failed miserably. Um, but we don't know how long Adam and Eve were in the garden before the fall. We don't know how many kids they had. We know that when Cain was exiled, there were at least enough people on the face of the earth to go form the city of Nod. Correct. So, yes. What was that? Oh, I said, correct. That's absolutely correct. That's it, always one yeah. of those inconsistencies people talk about in the old Testament is the fact that when Cain was banished, there was already this other village. Yeah. Where but we was... don't know how, how many other kids Adam and Eve had. Right. Dude, this is so fascinating. Thank you so much for your time, Archbishop. <laughs> we're, go, we, we're, we're going so deep, but, but I want to get back to you. You know, we can talk about sure. the book, book of Enoch. We're laying the foundation of why these evil spirits are actually interceding and, and working against humanity 
in the in this dimension. You know, we're laying the foundation of the history of these demons, if you want to call them that, or what what Archbishop Cloud is exercising. So, um, yeah. what I want to talk about, okay, so you know, you're with your dad's ministry, but as a mm-hmm. spiritual person, like what calls you to Jesus personally? Hmm. What is I've never been asked that. What's so attractive about the Jesus story, Jesus's life that made you resonate with so powerfully that you, you, you aligned your whole life with Jesus? Boy, that's a, an awesome question. Um, the short answer is I love him. Um, Me too. But how does one describe love and how love formed? Um, I've always heard and read about his compassion, his, his love for people, um, and those that chose him. He granted the ability to become sons of God. So, um, you know, I think in, um, I think of first John, it says, you know, behold, what manner of love the father has bestowed on bestowed upon us those that are Christian, that we should be called the children of God. Um, At some level within me, and within all folks, I think, you know, there's a God-shaped hole in all of us. Um, There's always a a search for a deeper meaning, a a deeper um, journey than just this mortal thing that we interact with on a daily basis, something larger than ourselves. Um, For me, when I heard about the things that Christ did, the resurrection, the just every characteristic about God um, attracted me and it drew me to God. And for me to ever deny Christ, I I would sooner have someone put a bullet in my head than <laughs> to deny Christ. Hey, I don't blame you. That's it's a uh, why would you want to deny pure love as a human? Yeah, yeah. And, and to me, why would I deny the truth just to make someone comfortable, or even at the threat of death? Why would I flinch if? I truly believe that, hey, kill this body, but you ain't going to keep it in the earth forever, and I'll be with Christ until the resurrection. So, win-win. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just think, you know, I am a huge fan of the Jesus story. I love Jesus so much because, for me, I'm a person that loves music, and I love going to live music shows and I love concerts. Mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of the band, the Grateful Dead and, and in the bands in the jam band uh, scene. And I often joke around that Jesus was the first hippie. He was the first person that <laughs> challenged the paradigm of the time, the authority of the time. He challenged the paradigms. He created a new understanding that was incredibly psychedelic yep. and, and really just lived in truth. I think what attracts me yeah. to the Jesus story is that Jesus lived in truth. He stood up not just for his morals and beliefs, but he stood up for all humanity. He he was yeah. the ultimate sacrifice. He yep. did away with the old 
customs that required animal sacrifice said, no, you don't need to do that anymore. I am taking on the sins of all humanity. I am the ultimate sacrifice. And it's just so beautiful. I mean, I just, I could go on and on and on about how much I love Jesus and the Jesus story and how powerful it is. But of course we could talk about this all day, but what I want to know is, okay, so you're technically Catholic, but you're a different kind of Catholic where, uh, you know, you don't exactly acknowledge the Pope as this infallible kind of almost like this uh, living angel. Yeah. So like, and then you also, some of the customs are different. So why do you feel like that's a, I I don't want to say better or worse, but why do you feel like that's more authentic for you, that version of Catholicism? Well, uh, one has to understand that, that Rome doesn't have a trademark on the term Catholic. Um, if we go back to the the basic understanding of just the word Catholic, it simply means the universal body of Christ. So its basic definition is just simply the body of Christ. Um, but in the modern world, we have Protestants and Catholics, and Rome is one of several Catholics. So you have the Church of England that is technically Catholic, even though it's also Protestant. You have the Orthodox Church. I'm actually affiliated with uh, an Orthodox jurisdiction at this time. So they they have their own um, leadership structure. Um, Rome has their own leadership structure. Um, then you have the Coptics, the Christians in Egypt, Ethiopia, etc. Um, they have their own leadership structure. But all of the Catholic leadership can trace the the direct laying on of hands, granting the mantle of leadership straight back to the apostles and to Christ. So like for my, what we call apostolic succession, my succession comes from uh, Andrew, Peter, and John. So, wow. uh, and the the church has always believed that the true mantle of leadership is by the laying on of hands and by imparting the same gift that Christ imparted to his disciples and to pass on that tradition in the exact same way. That's why in every ordination or consecration service, you'll see the laying on of hands to the one being consecrated or ordained, because that is actually the the, the spiritual mystical process of passing on the same mantle that Christ laid on to his apostles. So now do you feel like just to cut in a little bit, do you feel like that's, I, have you ever heard of Reiki before where people do energy healing with their hands? Oh yeah. And they, mm-hmm. do, you, do you feel like, uh, and, and you know, the, the Reiki story, you should research that, it, you know, it, it's, it's Christian based, you know, it, it, it's a Japanese person, you know, went to mm-hmm. meditate to figure out wh- how Jesus healed people. And I think it's so interesting that they're doing this succession and they're putting their hands, they're transferring the energy of the original time. And it's been transferred all the way down. You're saying from the original disciples. Yeah. And well, so for Reiki in particular, um, I I've known several Reiki masters and, you know, some of them has squealed and told me what the names were for each of the levels, the the entity that they do the the healing in. And each of the three names is a Japanese demon. Ooh. And so um, Interesting. for me, in my understanding, 
they, it actually may work just fine, but it, it's serving a, a different purpose. It, it's serving a way to get your needs met apart from God. Uh, so for my strict in, interpretation for me personally, it, it's, I wouldn't recommend it um, simply because I know what I know about it from the Reiki masters themselves. Wow. But you're, but in your, in the transmission of, you know, the consecration, you're saying that something similar kind of takes place, right? Where you're laying the hands on a person that had the hands laid on them, that had the hands laid on them and it goes all the way back. So there seems like there's some sort of transference, but then you're saying that the energy transference is based on these wonderful, beautiful people that served Christ and, and served God. Whereas in Japan, it's looking like, the names are coming from demons, so it's not coming through those filters, those same wonderful filters. Yeah, well, and, and so the apostolic succession with the laying on of hands, it's never done in any other name than the Trinity, you know, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so it, it's a direct impartation of the, the Holy Spirit to fulfill the function of a deacon, priest, or bishop um, by the succeeding or preceding generations onto the succeeding generations. And it's through that laying on of hands that the, the spiritual gifts to do your job are imparted. It's not necessarily uh, for healing or anything like that. It's for authority. So those that have that apostolic succession have a valid authority to be leaders within Christ church. Ah, okay. I'm getting that now. So when you had that happen, is that when you started having your calling to work with exorcisms to, to expunge these dark entities? When did that start to happen for you? Well, it started when I was working with my dad in the Pentecostal churches. I, I was right around 18 when I started helping my dad in his, uh, deliverance ministry. Um, deliverance and exorcism, pretty much the same, same, uh, just different terminologies. Um, but in my dad's deliverance ministry, I would assist him and it looked totally different than uh, a Catholic exorcism would look like. So in the Protestant deliverance ministries, it's prayer scriptures and there, there is no set script to, to go by. There's no ritual. There's no ritual per se. No, no, it's about faith, prayer, and, and just getting down to business. Okay. And so, but I will say when, um, I was first made ordained a deacon, uh, which is basically the, the entry level leadership position that any clergyman goes, goes through to become a, a priest and, you know, Lord will, and ultimately a bishop. Um, but I felt the mantle be placed on me. It felt like this warm, heavy, heavy blanket. It was both com- comfortable and burdensome at the same time. Um, like a, a thick bear pelt had just been draped over my shoulder and was weighing me down a little bit. And but I tell you what, that experience, it made me more serious about uh, 
my position because it was only then that I understood the, the true gravity of what I was going to pursue. And that was when I hit age, <clears throat> I believe I was 32. Okay. Right so, in there. So you're 32, you became a deacon and you can feel this energetic kind of weight, this burden, but yet at the same time, it's a gift. You knew like, it was almost like a pressure. You knew that yeah. something was coming, coming like a gravity. Like you knew, you knew that you had taken a fork in the road in your life and you are now yep. going somewhere really interesting, actually really interesting. <laughs> so tell me about, yeah, I, I was stepping out into the waters. Yeah. Man. <laughs> so tell me about, okay. So tell me about your very first exorcism experience. What was that like? And, and how did that come about? Well, uh, my first experience, my first exposure to it was with my dad. Right, with the so, deliverances, but then on your own. Oh, okay. Um, so my first experience, experience with my dad, being a greenhorn, just going in and trusting my dad to save me if all went sideways. Um, we had been called to this house. The the husband and wife in the home had been arguing. There was anger outbursts and they were at each other's throat 24 seven, which was a, a drastic departure from what they had been experiencing previously in their marriage. They were both very loving, very kind, very compassionate. And then something flipped a switch. So they asked my dad to come and pray through their home to make sure that there wasn't anything bad in there you know, making this happen. Um, we got in the house and my dad started opening up every door, praying through every room. And we finally got back to the master bedroom and my dad was praying through the bedroom and whatnot. And then he went to open the master bedroom closet door. It was a swinging door. And just as he was about to open the door, it blew open and this invisible presence hit him in the chest. Oh my God. And my dad was six, four, 265 pounds. So he wasn't a small fry. Um, and it knocked him back. He staggered back. The force of it hitting his chest was so impactful. Um, and then this invisible entity went around the room and, uh, uh, like a, brisk wind went around the room like a, almost like a small tornado and it blew all of the pictures off of the walls. Um, and then it blasts through the master bedroom door and then it blasted open the front door and was gone. Oh my God. That's really powerful. Yeah. But you were pretty used to extra ordinary experiences after a UFO experience, you know, being around your dad <laughs> and the deliverances, this, this, this was probably shocking, but not out of what you could process and handle. Right? No, okay. no. For me, you know, my dad had, had warned me that, you know, things can happen. Um, when the devil's involved, they like to bluster and, and perform like a little magician or something. And so just be aware that things can happen. So, but my first exorcism actually was at my best friend's house. Um, we, I was, and so this was before I was a deacon. This would have been 
when I was about 24, 25, right in there. Um, we went into his house. We were visiting down in Stockton where my best friend lives and we opened the door and I felt this, this presence. And it was the first time I had really sensed something on my own without my dad being there. And I thought, well, this feels weird. So we took a couple pictures and <clears throat> there were literally thousands of orbs in the pictures. Uh, and they were grouped around where his grandfather had died on the ground. Oh my God. And so I thought, well, buddy, looks like we got, got to do something about this. And he said, okay. And so I went through the house basically at that time, following my dad, dad's example and went through each room, opened up all the doors. Um, we felt, a a, a soft breeze blow past me and out the front door and we took more pictures and everything was normal. The pictures looked normal. Um, but that was my first exorcism experience on my own. Um, most likely that was his grandfather's spirit there. And the, the deliverance that I did at that time simply helped him to move on and move out. Wow, that's such an incredible story. So you see these orbs. It's interesting how, you know, for a while, uh, you know, I think probably year 2003 to 2010, you used to see a lot of orbs in pictures. You know, they yeah. you'd see them all over the place. But I think something happened where they were able to change the visual frequency of what they were capturing with the cameras because you don't really see those orb pictures anymore in the way that were no. so, so prevalent. So it's so interesting to think that and and that triggered that for you you saw it did that feel empowering for you when you were able to identify that without your dad being there did it make it, you feel it like was yeah. Empowering. It, <laughs> oh yeah yeah both me and my my bud we were pretty excited um because he could finally get back to sleep at night and stop hearing footsteps and other stuff through the house and uh for me, it kind of cemented in my mind that, hey, I can do this without my dad. Right. Because I got Christ with me. Right, so, which is so powerful. It's the most powerful. Oh, absolutely. It's infinite, infinite. So in your career so far, on your own, mm -hmm. you have a ballpark of about how many exorcisms you've performed so far totally, or, or at least like spirit removals, if not personal exorcisms. So, uh, exorcisms of possessed individuals, I would say dozens. Okay. Um, exorcisms of haunted properties, objects, and places, I would say hundreds. Wow. Because it comes yeah. up so much. I mean, do you think it's, uh, picking up with the rise of anxiety related to COVID and what's going on with world events? Do you think there's a, a rise in demonic energy right now? Oh, I think so too. You look at the streets. I mean, uh, you, you've got people killing each other to, two different political agendas, literally hating each other, uh, simply because one person believes something different than another. I know. Um, you, you've got, you know, just a general, 
darkness. Yeah, there's a lot of ingredients in, around that could create the recipe for these these entities to come in. So much fear, so much anxiety. All of these things seem like they're portals to attract these these entities. And you would call them demons right off the bat because you know you you hear new age people, you hear metaphysical people. They talk about lower astral entities. You know they have different names for it. But you flat yeah. out, you're just like forget putting them in different categories. They're just demons. Yeah, well, and, and demons do have different hierarchies. You know, it, you got to think of it almost in military terms. So okay. you have demons that would be your buck privates right out of boot camp uh, kind of, you know, level of influence and power. You got your sergeants, your master sergeants, lieutenants, colonels, and then you got the big boys, right. the generals. Um, and so you, you've got... But the generals are never concerned about a person, unless it's Antichrist, and then they're going to be all over that guy. Right. But um, the generals are more concerned about the the path of nations, uh, cultures, subcultures. They're, so just they're big looking movements. to influence as many people as possible over the widest geographic area. Okay. Possible. So the generals, the high in that hierarchy of demonic entities, those that are at the top closest to Satan himself, <clears throat> Lucifer, they're not concerned with messing with individual people. They want to do big swaths of people. They want to engage in huge world events. They want to cause cataclysms and conflicts and wars, yep. anything they can that can destabilize the humanity. What, you know, before we talk a little bit more about your exorcism experiences, I just want to know what your opinion, why is there so much resentment of humans from these entities. Why, why, what do they have against us? What did we do? That was so bad. The, the thing is we didn't do anything to deserve their, their bile. Um, they hate us because one, we were created in the image of God, but two, they know that they already tried to confront God directly and they failed miserably. I mean, that went over like a pork chop in a synagogue. So, <laughs> <laughs> and they got, you know, backhanded out of heaven. So <clears throat> the, the only way that they know that they can hurt God is to hurt the ones that God loves. Mm. The ones that are tormented the most, the ones that are focused on the most, are the most loved. Because how do you hurt a father in a way that um, really stings. You, you hurt their children. Right. And so it's a, it's a battle by, by proxy. Uh, we humans are unfortunately in the middle of a battle between light and dark, and there is no middle ground. You know, some folks will say there's a middle ground, but there really isn't. You know, if you think in military terms, if you've got two armies, you know, riflemen companies on different sides firing at each other, if you're in the middle ground, you're going to look like Swiss cheese. So you got to choose a side. Right. And uh, if you walk the middle ground, you have no one to back you up. So that that's the same reality in the spiritual realms, do you choose the army of God, which is unbeatable and whose rewards are eternal? Or do you choose the army of darkness, 
for temporary rewards and uh, fulfill pleasure and then ultimately face the same fate as that army. Right, because time moves, time moves eventually. Time moves so fast, and sure, they'll get the the creature comforts, they'll get the the money, you know, the the mansions, whatever they get. Yep. But time goes real quick, and then your time's up, it and does. then you're paying the price. And that's also, you know, we talked about, you know, these elitists, these uh, heads of the technocracy, kind of focusing on these life extension technologies. And I read a book by the great Manly P. Hall where he talked about how he read a book from the 1700s that talked about how a person conjured a demon and the demon said, okay, I'll give you money and and power and all that stuff, but after you're dead, you're going to be my slave for eternity. And, Mm -hmm. and that's, you know, that, and that person wrote it in a book and it trickled down through the hundreds of years. And I think that's part of this life extension technologies trying to get away from death is because they know they made the deal. Whether the watchers are just really stupid humans that are short sighted, (laughs) you know, they made the deal. So now they're like trying to get out of it. Like, well, if I don't die, then I don't have to be a slave. Like, you know, but, but you know what? It's futile. You already know this. I already know this, but it's futile to, yeah. to go against God. Like, it's just, it's, it's like, it is. it's, it's the, probably the stupidest thing a person could do. You're saying they're doing <laughs> it out of resentment, out of jealousy, out of envy, all these really kind of lower feelings, like lower emotional feelings, sure. like nothing that's coming from love. But do you think that yeah. deep down that these underneath all of the resentment, the jealousy, the hatred and all that stuff that there's secretly, there's a being in there that used to be an angel that just wants to be in, in love again. Just, do you think that that's possible? As far as the humans or, or the fallen, the fallen ones that somewhere in there, even though they're so vile, they're so wicked that somewhere underneath all of that is, is that original angel that used to be in heaven that used to live a good life that used to be cool. But then they messed yeah. up. Do you think that still could be there, or did they get stripped of that? Maybe. What's your opinion? I would think, and of course it's my opinion. I would think that that original creation would still be there, but in a corrupted form. Um, but the the presence of that original nature is also the driving force uh, for their evil actions because uh, it's all centered around pain. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's unfortunate they made that choice, but you know, it's part of the story. It's part of the story of yep. our universe. And it's, it's, it's what was, you know, ordained by the divine. We can't really go against it. We don't know why it is. It's a big mystery, but you know, we've just got to roll yep. with it. So here's, let's get back to your uh, exorcism career. So here's one thing I want to know. Okay. Okay. So there's people that are possessed by entities. Mm-hmm. Okay. Most of the time, not, probably 99% of the time, I, I don't know, you could tell me, they're pretty evil. They're there to hurt. They're not really help, there to help. But could a person, is it possible that a person could be possessed by a benign spirit that doesn't really actually hurt or harm you? It's just kind of hanging out. Is that possible? Have you encountered that? So uh, I'll, I'll tell you that the only benign slash benevolent spirit that for lack of better term, possesses a person is the Holy Spirit. Mm. When someone submits their life to God, accepts Christ, and goes through uh, the confirmation process, 
they are imparted with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit lives within them. And it gives them power, strength, faith, uh, gives them the ability to overcome the darkness of this world. No other type of spirit can possess a person that would either be benign nor benevolent. Um, And the Holy Spirit lives with a person when they're trying to do the the best they can with the tools they got. Um, But the dark spirits, the demonic spirits, and it doesn't depend on their hierarchy, um, can infest a person and possess a person when they have come to temptations, uh, open different doors uh, in their life for uh, a demonic presence to take root. Because a lot of times these presences, these demonic entities, you just don't wake up one day and you become a possessed. Um, it's typically a, a long, longer process. Yeah, what are some of people, the signs? What are some of the signs of these possessions? Um, so one of the earliest signs of a possession is unexplained anger. You you just get these feelings of unexplainable anger that just show up. And it's typically against that person's personality. Um, and this is basically oppression, where... An outside demonic force is manipulating the emotions or even thoughts of an individual. Um, and it manifests in their emotions, their behaviors, their words. Uh, some of the things they used to enjoy, they no longer enjoy. Now, keep in mind that that could easily also be uh, what's called anhedonia because I'm also a mental health therapist. So uh, it could be anhedonia. Perhaps it's a bipolar thing coming up. Uh, What is anhedonia for the listeners that don't know? uh, Anhedonia is when a person no longer takes pleasure in the things they used to. Um, It it usually goes hand in hand with depression. Um, So they're like, man, you know, a person that loved to, say play soccer. Okay. And it was their life and or music or something like that. When anhedonia hits, they no longer take pleasure in that and they really don't even care. And they typically don't care about things that used to make them happy. And so they kind of get into this well, depression. Um they seclude themselves and whatnot. Now a lot of times demonic initial demonic activity can look pretty close to that. Um, so, you know, as, as a mental health professional, I also, before I, you know, run into any person's life, waving my hands, screaming demons everywhere, I'll first say, go check in with your therapist, go get a therapist, go talk to someone. Um, see what they think. And if they get you on some meds and it works, hey, you're golden. I, you don't need me. This was totally explainable, totally natural, neurological. Um, and my intervention is not necessary as an exorcist. Um, even for those that uh, might be struggling with schizophrenia, schizoaffective, 
schizophreniform, uh, something like that. So that would manifest in different, different ways. Um, a person might even have dissociative identity disorder that that's most commonly known as multiple personalities. Um, but see also a lot of these things have their root in early childhood trauma. So that's one of the things I investigate with a person when they say I'm possessed. I'm like, okay, one, if you think you're possessed, you might not be for one, because <laughs> a, a truly possessed person, um, don't really realize it unless someone points it out. Right. And, the, and then even then they may have periods that they're totally fine in what's called an imperfect possession where they're normal. They behave normally, act normally, speak normally. But then there's other times that person's personality isn't even there and they're angry, belligerent, blasphemous. Uh, they, they can't stand holy objects. Uh, they can't stand a crucifix. I had one case of a possessed person that pissed all over the Bible and oh tore God. it up oh my God. and drew pentagrams all over it. So it, it goes to different extremes. Yeah. I mean, and then you have other possession cases. They're flinging poo on the wall like a monkey or something. And you've dealt with so many of these different cases. And you say that some of the root cause of this is early childhood trauma. Is that because it creates kind of a portal when you're getting abused or there's the physical abuse? Does it create some kind of opening, you could say, for, for those demonic entities to come in? Like, what, what, what is that? Is it the pain, the fear? What do you think that is? Well, ultimately, you, you got to understand, demonic entities are predators. Okay. So if a person has experienced abuse, physical, sexual, emotional abuse, or uh, neglect, um, these type of things, you know, affect a person the rest of their life. Um, and there are certain behaviors and, and thought processes that stick with a person um, as a result of the trauma. Now, that's a, at no zero fault of their own that that happened. That it has nothing to do with them. It was all because of another sick individual that decided to hurt them. Um, but since demons are predators, it's almost as if they sniff it out. Um, they, they see a person that has survived uh, abuse or whatever that would look like for them. They sniff them out and they begin to manipulate them and work with their thoughts, their emotions, again, putting little hooks in over the time, over time to eventually victimize that person again through oppression or possession. And, but again, that's not that person's fault. These things are nothing but sick predators that have no redeeming qualities. They take pleasure in your pain and they seek to destroy your life, even when you could have been as innocent as a dove. But right. these entities seek to corrupt, destroy, and ultimately separate you from God. So when you arrive on the scene, you know, you get a call, you know, somebody feels like they're possessed. 
And you talked about how you kind of do the first, you kind of do a mental health kind of evaluation based on your mental health profession. You're able to kind mm-hmm. of articulate and say, okay, you know, this person may have a mental health issue. But then once you establish that they don't, do you have a protocol of what you do to, to kind of feel out a house? Is there like, okay, step one, I do this, step two. Is there some kind of function or form that you do there? Yeah. So for me, I'm, I'm probably an oddity, um, even amongst exorcists. So I've had the site, what people would call the site or psychic ability. I, I hate that word. The site. Um, Ooh, interesting. Ever since I was four. Right. So I, I can see, hear, um, interact with any type of human or demonic spirit, even angelic sometimes. That's less common. Um, but I'll, I can, if I go to a location, I'll see what happened. It's like a, a small mini movie that plays in my mind, and, and I can see who did what, where, and to who. Um, I'll get names, I'll get, uh, everything of that, what's happened at that location. And that actually started when I was 35 with what I call place memories. Um, some folks would call it post cognition. Okay. Um, and then, um, I can feel the different energies I can walk through a location. And when I actually, when I go to do a house, I, ha- I don't have them tell me anything. I don't want them to tell Influence me what's going you. on. I want to go in raw. Okay. So I can feel it in, in real time and tell them what's been going on. And so, um, that's what I do when I go through a home and I can usually pinpoint the, the, the spots where, these little predators like to hide out and creep on them. Um, then once that's done, if it's just a house exorcism, then I use, um, incense, uh, parts of the Roman ritual, some parts of the Roman ritual I don't use simply because if the demons tick me off too much, I basically put the Roman ritual aside and just go in like a crazed monkey on methamphetamine or something. So you just kind of use your own energy and you just go after these guys and they, they can rile you up. It sounds like it sounds like they can uh, invoke a emotional response from you. How do they do that? Like what pisses you off? What what does a demon do? Or what are these two people is because they hurt somebody. What do they do to piss you off? They usually make me angry when they, when they hurt someone, okay. you know, cause I've always been a protector ever since I was a kiddo. Um, I was the, the guy that beat up the bullies. <laughs> Thank I, cause you. I'm, <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> you know, I I'm six to 300 pounds. So I, I'm not a small chicken either. Right. So, um, so you've always been on the side of light and love. You've always been wanting to help your fellow man. Yeah. Yeah. And, and protect the little guy. You know, I, I could never stand to see someone taking advantage of someone else or hurting someone else um, because it hurts me but, to watch it. But does that and, cloud your your effectiveness when 
you're emotionally riled up or does that actually help you uh, combat these entities when you're emotionally riled up? Well, it goes hand in hand with a question I'm often asked, you know, as an exorcist, do I get scared? Oh yeah. Some of the things I see and experience, they make your skin crawl and hair turn white kind of stuff. <laughs> um, but the, there's, there's two, there's two remedies to fear. One is love and one is anger. Both mask fear. Um, so usually the most angry person is also the most fearful. Okay. There's a lot of fear and pain that goes with that. Um, and in the short term, anger wipes away fear because you, you're there to do a job. You're there to get it done. And you really don't care to hear any sob stories from the demonic. And believe me, they'll try to either give sob stories, play dead, or uh, rustle things around so that you know you either feel sorry for them or you're scared to death. Well, what's a demonic and, sob story? I got to ask you, what's a demonic sob story? Just give me one example of, <laughs> of a situation, if you can. Like, what do they? What do they? How do they appeal to you? Well, the, the, the most common way that a demon masquerades is as a child spirit. So when I, this has been the case almost a hundred percent of the time when I'm called to a house and they say, Oh, there's this poor child that's lost. His ghost is here and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay. They'll always inevitably say there's also this other mean entity that keeps the child locked into the location and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, dude, <laughs> they're, the, they're the same entity. You're just being played, man. What, what these demons do, they try to get emotional hooks into a person in order to get them off their guard so that they can put other hooks in, in the people. Mm. Um, there's been cases where people have felt sorry for the, the quote unquote child spirit and gave them gifts, you know, talk to them like they're talking to a kid, give them gifts and whatnot. And inevitably the darker entity mysteriously gets stronger and it mysteriously gets more active and does worse things in the environment. Well, yeah, because it now has its emotional hooks in you and you're easier to manipulate. And they're giving it psychic and energy and, and physical energy, you know, with the gifts, sure. like you said, and they're pr almost praising this demonic entity through this fake proxy of the child that doesn't even yeah. exist. That's, that's a really interesting thought. Like, it's like, wow. And, uh, you know, so, so you're in there, you know, you're finding these demons. Um, I guess, tell me something about one of the worst cases you've ever experienced where you felt like you were so overwhelmed that you, you maybe weren't going to pull it off this time. <laughs> oh goodness. Did there you are ever days feel I feel that like way? that all the time. Okay. But, uh, <laughs> but because see, I know if I went in there by myself, I'd get my butt handed to me. Um, if I didn't prepare myself, if I didn't, um, clean my heart and soul in confession before God and get my spiritual armor on, uh, I would absolutely be hurt. Um, to this date, knock on wood, I have not been hurt. 
Um, though I have been scratched, hit, pushed, had my name called. Um, I've had uh, invisible hands touch me in inappropriate places. Um, <laughs> and these things happen like, so they also send out what I call scouting parties. Okay. So before a major exorcism of either a property or a person for that matter, they, I will see shadow people in my house. Um, I, I even have pictures of, uh, a triple scratch going from my wrist all the way down to my elbow that I got simply taking a shower. And I noticed it when the water started, oh, excuse me, hit, hitting it. And I noticed the burning scratches. I didn't feel it scratch me, but I, I noticed the burn after the scratches had formed. Um, that's happened. The triple scratches happen a lot as like a calling card, really. And um, basically, it's their way of testing me to see if I'm going to get scared and run. And for me, my fight or flight instinct is always fight. Okay. So if I get scared, I'm going to buckle down and I'm going to get them. Right. Um, so there really hasn't you know, been I've, a point where you were overwhelmed. You were scared. You've mentioned you've been scared. You had the fear frequency of that, that energy, but you were never, because you had Christ with you, because you were there with God, you never really felt like you were going to lose. You, you, you felt like maybe there was times that were going to be tougher than other times, but you never felt like you were going to lose. No, I've never felt like I would lose. Oh, good. Um, go ahead. Oh, I just said, oh, good. That sounds amazing. I'm glad you weren't losing. <laughs> now, I, I have to to give the caveat to that, that there have been some cases that I have not been able to get an entity out of the house. Why do you think that is? Well, the, there's specific reasons as to the why. Uh, it has nothing to do with me or with God's power or anything like that. A lot of times people bring these things on themselves, whether willingly or unwillingly. Um, a lot of cases that I've been on, the people have been involved in the occult at some point in life or are currently involved in the occult. And when I tell them, Hey, if you want this gone, you need to stop you know, or, or they perhaps even using, um, different drugs because the actual word for drug in the Greek is pharmakeia. I mean, yeah, the actual word for sorcery is pharmakeia is, is pharmakeia, I, which is drug use. I just read that two days ago. It's so funny. You're bringing oh, okay. that up again. I just learned <laughs> that two days ago. I'm actually 30% Greek. I had no idea. So yeah, the, they yeah. were, if you're not careful, drugs could be, do you think drugs could be beneficial? Like in a spiritual context, you know, they talk about cannabis in the old Testament, cannabosa, and that, that was in the incense, like things like cannabis. You're not really talking about, you're talking maybe more about like uh, heroin and meth, cocaine and, and your psychedelics. Really? You tell know? tell um, me more about that. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the, sorcerers of old used to use drugs to get into, uh, elevated spiritual states. Okay. You can look at like the oracles of Delphi um, and others sure. that breathed in different vapors or whatnot that 
gave them insight and hallucinations and whatnot, and these were the messages from the gods. Um, you, the problem is, you know, and, and I'm not saying everyone that uses a psychedelic or some of the, like meth, heroin, etc., sure. are absolutely going to be possessed or open a door, <clears throat> but the um, probability is there that it very well could. Because actually that's sorcery. Just like everyone, not everyone who dabbles in the occult is going to wind up possessed. Right. But the probability is there because it is, uh, well, the It's occult. dangerous. You're playing with fire. You're playing with fire. Yeah. And if you're young, if you're naive, you're impressionable, you don't, you haven't understand your, how to be a, you know, it's not necessarily self mastery, but just having that personal relationship with God and, and understanding the Jesus story. And if you don't get that and you're taking these psychedelic drugs, you're leaving yourself wide open to be preyed on by these, sure. these entities. And even, uh, you know, the great, uh, visionary artist, Alex Gray talks about that, you know, that these people, if they're not training themselves and it takes a lot of training, if you're not ready you could open yourselves up to something huge and you, you, you feel like that happens a lot for people that are. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. You know, but I, I will say, cause I'm also, um, uh, what's called a KDAC three. I'm the highest certification for drug and alcohol counseling. Okay. So, um, uh, I will say in my seven years that I've been in the drug and alcohol world that only once, have I sensed uh, a possible possession on a person? Um, for the most part, just hurting people that are looking for a way to stop the pain. Right. Um, and to try and get them beyond something in their life that is the crux of the fear and pain that's going on. Yeah, so it's not necessarily demon possession. They're just had something happen to them that's creating this hole and they're filling it with drugs. It's not every exactly. person, but you did notice it one time in your career with the, the drug and alcohol counseling. Yeah. So um, it, what, oh, what's sorry, interesting go. though, I'll just briefly say sure, sure. for just for educational purposes for folks, opiates, you know, the opioid epidemic and whatnot, opiates work on the same receptors in the brain as when we are in a loving, caring relationship. So a lot of people that have been physically, sexually abused or have gone through uh, neglect in their life, using an opiate might be the first time that they feel the sensation of being loved. Ooh. And so that's why it can become so addictive. And then you have to ask the question, well, how does one find love outside of the substance. So, but I just wanted to share that too. Yeah. That's a really interesting insight because you know, some of these people, like you said, that have been so abused, they're opening themselves up to lower entities and demons or whatever is out there. You know, mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's, you know, it, it, it's hard. It's hard for these people. You know, they, they've had these horrible lives and they've never felt love. And then finally they take this drug not realizing that the biochemical reaction is giving them the same feeling of parental love or sibling love, that love that they never yep. had, potentially never experienced before, and boom, they're addicted. 
It's yeah. all they really wanted. All they wanted was love. It's all they all they wanted or all they needed was just was a little just love. love. Just a little love. Oh my goodness. Um, okay, so Archbishop Cloud, you know, we're we're hitting the, we we have no time limit, but we're hitting the hour and a half mark. You know, I, I want to <laughs> okay. talk to you. I know if you can, if you don't have them, that's okay. Do you I know that in your exorcism research and and the clients and things that you've dealt with you may have recorded EVPs, which is... I have, yeah. Which EVP stands for extra... extra electronic so, voice phenomenon. Electronic voice phenomenon. And a lot of people pick yep. these up at graveyards. So if you don't have any today, that's okay. But do you have any EVPs that you could play for our audience today? So, I do. I, I don't know if the sound will be decent. Let's see here. You know, that's okay. If it doesn't work, we'll figure it out for next time. But I was so interested in that. Let me see here. Okay. I, I do have, oops, I do have <laughs> some. Let's see. So I have, uh, my exorcism team has a web page that folks can go to and, and hear see here and see a lot of video that we've captured in audio and what web page is that um, or how would they find that web page um it is uh fr james st patricks dot com forward slash prism okay that wasn't too hard hopefully everybody got that and we'll make sure that it's on the uh website our website midnight on earth when we upload this episode, we'll have all the information for you guys. So you can go check out these EVPs. Yep. Yep. Uh, let me see here. Uh, just looking. All right. Let me see. I wonder if I share the screen if it'll translate for you in audio. Uh, let's see here. Oops. Okay. Hmm. I can see your screen right now. Listeners out Let there, me, I can see. There was one other thing here. Archbishop screen. Now it's sure. back to Archbishop Cloud here. All right. Let's see here. Like I said, if it doesn't work, we can always we can always try again. Oh my gosh! Okay, here we go. All right. So this initial EVP was actually from an incubus case that I did. Oh geez, maybe six years ago or so. And <clears throat> to set the background of this, we were simply walking around the property. I was doing my walk around to try and feel things out. And we were recording and we heard this voice that on the recording that we didn't hear at the time we were walking around. So here we go. Hopefully this works. Yeah, he'll come through and bless it. 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 Were you able cow. to hear that? Oh man, yes. And I got chills from that. So for the audience, 
you know, you don't see this. You can, you'll see it on the Midnight on Earth website after this episode uploads. But we're looking at a YouTube video. There's a woman walking around. She's talking. And in the background, you can hear a voice say, I'll kill you. Ooh, ooh, that made the hair on my, <laughs> my, my neck stand up and give me goosebumps. Let's hear that again. So now we know okay. what it sounds like. Let, let, let's hear it again. You got it. Yeah, he'll come through and bless it. And, yeah. Yeah. Once we do the walk. Yeah, he'll come through. Holy cow. Yeah, he'll come through. Yeah, he'll come through and bless it. And, yeah. So people, did and you hear that? Was, it said, I'll that, kill you. Oh my God. That just gave me so much chills. Ooh. <laughs> so I encounter that a lot on exorcisms. They like to bluster. They like to threaten. They like to try and intimidate. Sure. For me, that's just another day at the job. <laughs> just another day at the office for Archbishop James Cloud. That's right. So here's another one. So I believe you'll hear in this clip, um, one of us, I can't remember, uh, asking us its name. And you'll hear the response. Okay. Are you afraid to tell us who you are? Whoa, did that just say Satan? Cause that just, that's what it sounded yeah, like to me. I'll, I'll play it again for you. Oh mama. Okay. You hear that, sh that shrill voice. Satan. Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> Scary. Oh my goodness. But yep. you don't want to be afraid uh, because like you said, they're just huffing and puffing, you know, they're all bark and no bite. You know, they're, yeah. they're they, they like to make you think that they're the most powerful evil entity that's ever existed in the entire universe that really they're just, it, it, it's just a big show. Yep. Yep. They're, they're like little banny hens, you know, the small little hens that fluff their feathers and get loud and jerk all around to intimidate, you know, wh whoever's it around the hen. It's the same way with these demons. Now, wow. If a non-Christian, or if I wasn't prepared, they could absolutely do harm. So that that's why I have to be. So you put on prepared. like you, when you prepare. You said, and I remember you said this earlier. You you make sure that your your heart and your mind are clean. What other preparations do you? And besides, you know, accepting Christ in your heart and being a Christian, what other mm -hmm. things do you prepare as a shield for these entities? Faith. You know, if I didn't have faith that God could do this um, and actually be who he says he is, which is an all-consuming fire, consuming his enemies, um, if I didn't have faith in that, I wouldn't be able to do it either. So I have to do things that bolster my faith. For me, it's scripture reading, it's listening to Christian music, it's confessing my sins, it's—I'm basically— both closing doors and opening doors to heaven mm -hmm. so that God's power can flow through me to do my job. Now I've heard that there's a tactic of exorcists where they will put on a lot of physical weight. They'll eat tons of food. They'll get, you know, as heavy as they can possibly can because something about having a heavier physical shell kind of 
is a buffer kind of blocks the energy of these these entities. Do you agree with that? Is that something that you do as a tactic? You know, I don't know, but I'm fat anyway, so <laughs> it works. <laughs> okay. I can't. I couldn't point to you know a preparation. I would like to have that excuse, but no, I'm just fat. <laughs> well, hey, maybe it's subconscious because I have you know I, I've done a little bit of research in exorcisms over the decades, and you know these guys, these really big guys, they'll be eating these steaks, they'll be eating these huge meals, and they're like, we're doing it for Christ because their shield, they feel their physical body is a shield for these energy vampires, these, these demons, these absolute demons. Gotcha. So can we uh, hear, I'll uh, have to use that excuse next time. Yeah. <laughs> next time my shirts don't quite fit. <laughs> so can oh, we, honey, I'm just preparing for the demons. There That's you fine. go. And then, you know, you're, you're <laughs> wonderful wife. So you have a family, you have a wife, you have children. What do your children think about all this? Are they, are they ready to, to, to join you? Or are they, are you training them to be the next secession in the line of, of exorcists? Only if they want, but right now, uh, my son is six and my daughter's three. So okay, they're, young. they're way, way too young to even step foot in this kind of stuff. Wow. But do you feel um, like they have a calling, you know, have they had any extraterrestrial contacts yet? You feel like they're, do you feel like that's their calling? Is there any, seen any signs or anything that indicated that? Well, interestingly enough, in the last week, my daughter, my three-year-old, who's almost four, that's the timing, um, has talked about aliens and them waking her up and she goes with them and oh whatnot. My and God. my neither my wife or I can figure out where she would get that. Um, but in the back of my mind, I'm like, oh, crap. You know. Here we I'm go again. <laughs> This is probably happening to her too, but I have to say if it was the same guys that I went with, it was a good experience. It wasn't negative or hurtful or painful or anything like that. Right. So, so can we hear a couple more EVPs? Yeah. So this one is very, very, very clear. Um, we were, I was basically prior to this little piece, um, I was getting mad at it and I'm just like, you know what? Stop playing around. Just show yourself. Just get it over with. We both know you're here. Stop playing dead. And so this is the EVP that came up. And it sounds like he's saying you're messing around. You're messing around. Oh my God. Let's hear that one more time now that we know what it is. You're messing around. Yep. Oh, I hear that clear as day. I can hear that clear as a bell. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's very clear and it was very loud and it was uh, caught on the camera and we did not hear it at the time. And that is that true with a lot of these EVPs that, you know, you'll be recording, you'll be walking around. And then it'll be when you get back home or wherever you go to analyze that, that's when the EVPs surface. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of times that's what happens. It's pretty, it's pretty crazy. Wow. And like, you know, if people go to this page, they can also see uh, some pictures we caught in Golden, uh, which is uh, a ghost town just uh north of grants pass on right. the i-5 corridor 
Okay. Uh, so one thing I'd like to point out for people, and, and maybe we didn't mention this yet, or maybe we did, but you actually don't take money. You don't get paid for the service that you do. Is that correct? Correct. Um, the only time I will uh, accept any type of money is if we're traveling a long distance and we have to, um, gas you know, money. it's going to cost gas money to get there. Right. Gas money. Yep. You might need to rent a car or something, whatever expenses you incur that are outside of the yeah. norm, you ask for reimbursement. But other than that, it's, you're not charging any fees. You're doing this purely for service, service to God. Absolutely. Wow. Well, you know, sometimes people will give money as a donation and then I accept it, but uh -huh. at no, no point do I ever suggest a donation, nor do I charge individuals for what I do. I feel like that's a very good thing because, you know, people that may be affected by these entities, you know, they may be fed this information like, oh, you know, internally like, oh, they're, they're charlatans. They just want your money. You know, don't, <laughs> don't call, don't call Archbishop Cloud, whatever you do, he's a fraud. You know, these entities are yeah. probably feeding them that. So you're taking that away. You're saying, I'm not even charging for money. And then what ammunition does the demon have? It can't say anything. It's like, ah, except for, oh shit, I'm almost <laughs> out of here. Can't right? say nothing. <laughs> so okay. Nor can any, any other person look that I'll, would say, you know, I'm in it for money or prestige or something else because I don't get nothing out of it. I'm there to help. Right. And what we're doing here on Midnight on Earth is amplifying your voice. You know, we want people to find you. You're based in Oregon. Do you have, do you deal, and you yep. said you do deal with people in Washington. What is your radius of work? Uh, I will uh, help folks in the Pacific Northwest. Um, you, If it's far, you know, I usually ask for gas money for expenses. Um, or, you know, if a person is affluent and they, they need me, you know, to get a plane ticket, I'll, I'll fly anywhere. It doesn't matter to me. So have you gone uh, uh, to multiple States then? Have you flown places to do this? Oh yeah. 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 I I've been on the travel channel. I've did, uh, four or five different TV shows in search of monsters, ghost adventures. Um, <clears throat> uh, it feels evil. Okay. Um, so you've been flying actually, around a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I've been around a bit. I went to New Jersey, um, Southern California, LA. I was actually there when the seven point whatever earthquake hit. I was wow. in Bear Mountain um, doing a shoot. Um, and even the shoots, you know, they, they pay me a, a minimal amount. I think the most I was paid one time was 500 and the usual is like, 200 just to do that of course they take care of the plane tickets and stuff like that but right. um so but they yeah give, they give you a little stipend yeah, yeah. to be on these shows they give you a plane ticket they feed you hotel if you need it and they give you a little yeah. stipend for your time yeah oh, that's pretty cool well thank you for your service now i want to what i want to do is give people that feel like they're possessed they feel like they're possessed or they know somebody that's possessed <coughs> or they feel like their structure, their house, their spirits in there. How do they get a hold of you? What's, what's the easiest way to find you? Well, it's the uh, Prism Paranormal Research Investigators of St. Michael, uh, our website. Okay. Um, 
that's the easiest way and just, you know, contact me or my emails on there as well. Bishop cloud at yahoo.com. Okay. Folks can absolutely shoot me an email. Um, but to ease, you know, folks minds that might think, Oh my goodness, I have hiccups. That's okay. Uh, That's okay. Might, <laughs> <laughs> might think they're possessed. Most of the time it's oppression. Um, an outside influence is affecting moods, emotions, etc. Um, that's the bulk of what a person is typically dealing with if they feel like they're possessed. Um, but possession, I mean, for the person going through it, they might lose chunks of time. They might be told that they're, they had some weird behaviors that they don't remember. Uh, say things, do things that they have no recollection of. Um, and of course, aversions to holy things and stuff like that. That's most likely possession, at least an imperfect possession. Um, a perfectly possessed person, I mean, they're 24 seven under the influence of this demon. So, um, but yeah, they can contact me, Bishop cloud uh, okay. Bishop cloud at yahoo.com or go on the uh, prism website that I gave earlier to right. you. And, and, uh, and prism and, you know, again is the, just for people that missed that is the uh, paranormal research investigators of St. Michael. It's a Southern Oregon based team. So it's not just you, who else are you working with on that team? Uh, my wife and um, one of our friends, we do have occasional, um, other folks that we take with us, depending on the the nature of a case or whatnot. Um, oh, we also have a, a ex army guy that we do stuff with as well. So, uh, and he's also on the team. I can't forget him. <laughs> um, good guy. Good yeah, guy. it sounds like uh, an incredible team. Yeah, and you know what? As a, as an exorcist. Even when I'm doing uh, exorcism of a person that's possessed, I'm constantly checking on the person and being kind to the person. But I'll be aggressive and, and you know. Uh, Hard on the demon. You'll fight with the demon. Oh, yeah. But then you'll acknowledge oh, yeah. the person is there, too, because there's two separate yeah. entities you're dealing with. The person that's yep. oppressed or possessed and then the per yep. and then the actual demon that you want out of there. Sure. You know, I'm, I'm getting them water. I'm, I'm making sure that they're safe, that things are okay. Um, I also think I'm pretty easy to talk to, you know, so I, I'm not, you know, people have, when they think of an exorcist, they think of the exorcist movie for right. the most part, you know, pea soup going to fly everywhere. <laughs> I'm going to strap you down and whip you from here to next week. And you know, that I have yet to have to tie anyone down. You know, knock on wood, but um, I've yet to experience that. You have not had the Linda the Blair experience yet. Yeah, and <laughs> I've been at this 27 years Wow. Now. So, or no, 29. My God, I'm old. Um, <laughs> well, you're experienced. You're, you're not old. You're experienced because you have so much life left. And you think about I'm seasoned. Yeah. And you think I, about I'm Methuselah, well you know, right. You're talking about Methuselah being over 900 years old. Right. And like 
Yeah, yeah that's like true, man, you're still true. a little baby compared to Methuselah. That's like <laughs> for you know, sure. But my white hair tells different. Oh uh, yeah, my so does mine. You know, the beards are a dead giveaway. You you look very very healthy for people that ha- don't can't see you. You look very healthy. A little bit of gray. In oh your well, beard, thank you. But you do look very very healthy. You know. You're a very spiritual person and you seem incredibly sure. intelligent and incredibly intellectual. Here's a couple of questions I want to ask you that maybe aren't about exorcism, but I just really want your opinion on now. Okay. In the Jesus story. Okay. Let's talk about Jesus for a second. In the Jesus story, there's that scene, that section where Jesus is in the desert and he's being, and he's on a big fast. He's on a big fast. I think it was like 40 mm-hmm. days. You'll have to tell me and remind me. But then the devil comes to Jesus and he says, look, you know, you sign up with me. You know, I'm paraphrasing. Sign up with me and I'll give you the whole world. And, you know, and he shows you all the riches and all the things that you would get if he signed on with the devil and left God, even though he was the embodiment of God. What I want to know is, okay, and I've noticed that a lot of Christian theologians will use this section of the Bible and say, see, this dimension, this earth belongs to the devil. It's a devil's world. It's the devil's world. But of what I've always been told is that Lucifer, the devil in the Bible was an absolute liar. So do you think that this world, this dimension, this earth belongs to the devil or was the devil lying to Jesus at that point? And then if Jesus would have said, sure, not that that would happen. It was okay, sure. Sign up be like, ha ha. I didn't really actually have any of that. Like, what's your opinion on that? <clears throat> so that one is a mixed, mixed yes and no. Uh-huh. Um, so ultimately everything is under God's authority. So every world in our known universe is God's. However, there are governorships, if you will. Um, so you got to keep in mind too, every demon also has to abide by the rules that God sets. Demons can't operate outside a given rule set. They don't have that option. Um, they have to ask permission to afflict a person, um, or to really even haunt a place. It, it, they, they don't have as much free will as a lot of people think. Okay. So yes, not only there, but elsewhere in the scriptures where we read that um, the God of this age or the God of this world is the devil. Now that does not mean that he's the king of the earth or that he has the ultimate authority on the earth. It simply means that because man tends to run corrupt, we side with the devil. And so in that way, it is the devil's world because we let him Uh, have a lot of this world. I think that clears up a lot of confusion for people because so many people think the opposite. They think that that means that the, the devil is the king of this world and somehow God is like outside of the earth, letting the devil run amok. I don't think that's the case. And it's not. Okay. You know, because even the devil has to play by the rules. Right. Whatever laws or universal laws or multidimensional laws are in place by God, they're bound by those laws. Yeah. They can't escape. So then that's, that's uh, the funny point. You know, people get into the occult or Luciferianism or something thinking they're going to have ultimate power. 
<laughs> when even the devil listens to God. Exactly. So exactly. It's like, mm. it, I have a big problem with people that, and it's really trendy right now to be Luciferian. You know, you go down to LA and it's kind of like, you know, you go to Utah, Utah is full of Mormons. You go down to LA, LA is full of Satanists. You know, you're like, ah, sure, like, oh, what? Sure. Like, oh, I'm a Satanist. You're like, really? You're just the guy making burritos. Like what, what at the food cart? Like, why are you a Satanist? Like everybody's a so Satanist. I'll, down I'll there. also separate that out for you. So the regular church of Satan are not actually Luciferians. Um, the regular church of Satan, it's mostly an excuse to party, have orgies on the dark altar, and to whoop it up and to give God the finger. Okay. That that's it, it, like the rebels. Sure, you know, sure. The, they they have a church of rebels that enjoy giving God the finger. Luciferians, however, w- Satanists, they actively seek out the devil. Whereas even in Church of Satan, a lot of them don't even believe in the devil. Right. They believe that the devil is more of a concept. Okay. And uh, living a, a free-willed lifestyle, and uh, but the Luciferians know, know what's up with the game, and they're actively seeking to summon Satan himself. And you know, I've noticed that that when I was down in LA recently, and have been over the years, most of the people are in that Church of Satan, and I believe that's Anton LaVey that started that Church of Satan, where they're like, oh, we don't even believe in Satan. It's just kind of this rebuke of the divine Christian paradigms and all that. But then there is also the true Luciferians that engage in child sacrifice, blood drinking, and, and all kinds of ancient rituals, which may even predate Judaism. It may even go back so, so far in human history. We don't know, but there have always been filtering their spiritual energy into this really dark places where there's Moloch or ball, you know, they're, they, they, they love doing this. Why is that? Is it because they're they're just in a lot of pain? Why do you think these people seek out Luciferianism? Well, the, the first thing I always think of when a person says they're no longer attending a church, um, I usually, and you know, they don't want anything to do with God. I usually, my first question is, so who hurt you? You know, who hurt you in the church that made you choose that? And a lot of times that throws it off because I'm actually talking about the core of what's actually going on. The the rebellion against God and what else is simply a symptom Mm -hmm. of the deeper issue. Um, so nine times out of 10, there was something really traumatic or painful in that person's life that made them rebuke spiritual things. Like they felt spiritual energy and they, they thought, oh, I'm going to get hurt by this. So I'm going to go in the opposite direction. And then what I've noticed is sure. when, and when you do go in the opposite direction, <clears throat> the Luciferian direction, those dark energies are tempting. They, they feel like you feel like you're getting power. You feel like you're a grand wizard or, or, or you're getting something mm-hmm. from that that feeds you, that makes you think you're special when really it's like being in a, in a really bad gang or something. They make you feel special, but eventually they're going to eat your soul. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> but see, the, the other reason why people get into the occult, whether it's Church of Satan, Luciferianism, whatever, another typical trait of those folks is that um, their lives feel uncontrollable. So the occult 
vainly promises that by doing certain rituals, spells, incantations, summonings, etc., that somehow you're going to be able to control the uncontrollable in your life. Um, and you don't have to rely on faith because you're, or to trust God because you're actively involved in supposedly controlling the uncontrollable, whether that be love, money, etc. Um, usually it revol revolves around one of the two of those <laughs> right. or, or power. Sure. Um, but it, it's ultimately trying to control something in your life that you feel is uncontrollable. So, but also obsessive compulsive disorder comes from that exact thing. So people that grew up in a chaotic home, uh, didn't know if they were going to get food, uh, if, uh, mom and dad had something going on and they had, uh, incongruent or, um, unexpected responses to certain things. They never knew if they were, uh, getting praise or if they're going to get a belt or something else. Wow. So it, it's a chaotic environment that they're raised in. And a, most people with OCD, obsessive compulsive, it's the same concept. They count the tiles. They order the things in their room. They um, try to make order patterns out of chaos. that are familiar. Just trying to make life. order out of chaos. Just total, and, and, yeah. and however they can. And you're saying that could be the OCD thing, but then it's also part of the temptation of the, the Luciferianism and all that. Absolutely. Oh Absolutely. You know, the devil promises, hey, you serve me and you'll be in control. The world will be yours. You'll have power. You'll have wealth. You'll have, you know, X, Y, Z, whatever the temptation of the day is. Sure. Um, and then people go for it. Why do you think, because it's, it, it, time and time again, you know, it happens, these people make these deals and they get rewarded. Why do these beings, evil beings, how do they have the power in this world to grant somebody a situation that all of a sudden, like, you know, let's say they sell their soul and then they make the choice. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden some person walks up and says, Oh, do you want this recording contract? Like how do they have dominion in this dimension to be able to manifest those things? Because they're operating within the rules that are set. You know, these are creatures of rebellion and darkness. And, uh, there are certain laws that if they, make deals or whatnot, um, they fulfill them, but then take their pound of flesh in the process. Um, <clears throat> and also ultimately damn that person's soul. But I will say, actually, there's no such thing as selling your soul to the devil because you can't sell it. It's not, it's not a, um, something that can be bought or sold. Um, but people think they are. They think they're selling their soul when they're making these contracts with the, sure, you, sure, and they believe it and they believe it. Um, and then, and then they're submissive, I think. Right. Yeah. It, it's just like curses. People believe that curses have power. So the curses have power. Um, people believe that they've sold their soul to the devil. So there's no hope of salvation, but I was just on a, a case that actually, uh, this person had done just that in a Luciferian cult and they believed they'd sold their soul. And I told them, 
One, you can't do that. It's a lie. Um, because as long as you draw breath, you can find grace, even if you've done that kind of thing. Uh, you can't sell your soul. Uh, as long as you have breath, there is a chance for salvation and to make right relationship with God. So the people that have sold their soul out there that may be listening, maybe you're getting, maybe God is guiding you to this podcast and you're hearing this information and you felt like you've made that deal. But, but Archbishop Cloud is here to tell you that, that God will forgive you if you turn your heart back to God, if you turn your heart back to love and you turn off all that evil and you change your life, God will be there to forgive you with open arms. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Otherwise, the parable of the prodigal son wouldn't exist. Right. And, you know, before we go, you know, we, this has been such an, a riveting podcast. I, I feel like, you know, we've been talking <laughs> for like 20 minutes, but really we've been going for a couple hours. So I just, yeah. you know, I want you to get back to your life and, and have time with your family. But I want to ask you just a couple more questions. Um, okay. So you've had interactions with extraterrestrials. We've talked about that incredible story at the beginning. So then how yeah, does that yeah. fit into your paradigm of Christianity and Catholicism? You know there's other beings out there. It's beyond a shadow of a doubt for you. You already know. So do you yeah. feel like Christ manifests on the planets where those beings live? Are there Christs in, on all these worlds? Or what do you think about that? So we have no evidence that any other world has actually fallen like humanity did. Ooh. Um, they may have not fallen in their garden and they chose God. Um, and, but us good old humans, <laughs> we thought if we eat the fruit, we'll be God. And so we're like, sure. That sounds awesome. Uh, to yeah. Me. Yeah. And, but you know, so you're saying out there in the universe, the millions and billions of, earth-like planets out there, we could be the only one that made the choice to take the apple or whatever it is on another planet. Yeah. And then we fell. Everybody else is doing fine, but we're the ones yeah. that made the mistake. So maybe that's part of the role of humanity to, to show everybody else what happens if you take the fruit. You know, we're like, don't do what we did. You know, maybe we could be an example eventually. A cautionary tale. Yeah. Eventually when we get out there, I mean, and do you feel like, yeah. You know, where, where is the world going? I mean, it seems like that we're moving towards a heaven on earth scenario where we're united under love, under consciousness, under Christ. But how do we get there? seems like we're going there, but how do we get there? Do you feel like we're going there or do you really feel like, what do you think about the future of earth and humans? Well, the prophets have told us that we will have a united world. Um, initially everyone will consider it a world of peace and love. Uh, one man will rise out of the old Roman empire. The, the countries that the old Roman empire possessed, uh, have certain bloodlines, um, and will be a great peacemaker. Uh, we'll be able to finally unite the world under a single umbrella, even if it's, more of a federation of, of nations than um, a solid single world government kind of thing. Okay. <clears throat> that man is Antichrist. The prophets warned us 
that that peace, that that unity, where all paths lead to to Rome, even spiritually, where every religion is the same, everyone is uh, I'm okay, you're okay, kind of mentality. Um, that will be the presiding and prevailing mindset at the rise of Antichrist. And Antichrist will be very charismatic, very quote unquote loving, very uh, likable. You know, people think they have this image of Antichrist that he's going to be some, you know, old bat that just fell out of or climbed out of hell or something. But he's actually going to be well respected, well liked. Um, and we'll see him at least for three and a half years after a peace treaty is signed, um, the, by all, in, for all intents and purposes, the world is united and good, but that changes at the midpoint when he turns to be a dictator worse than anything this earth has experienced. And it goes through the great tribulation. And this is what was outlined by John the Baptist in the book of Revelations. Is that correct? Yeah, John the Beloved. John the, John Beloved. the Baptist. Yeah, John the Baptist uh, was beheaded uh, right. by Herod. So this is a different John. John the Beloved wrote the mm -hmm. book of Revelations. And, th and this is what you're talking about, the Antichrist story. Yep. So then, but then yep. after that happens, you know, according to the book of Revelations, Christ comes back and we have yep. heaven on earth. Absolutely. And then is that point. But we have to go through a tough time just before that occurs. And do you believe in the rapture? Are you a rapture person or no? You know, um, the, the only part, so in the long tradition of the church, at the last trumpet, the, the dead in Christ will rise. Um, there will be a general resurrection. Uh, and those, and St. Paul said, those that are alive and remain will be taken up. That that's technically the rapture. Okay. Um, however, at the midpoint of what's known as the Great Tribulation, you can also read in uh, the book of Revelation that an angel collects the the wheat of the earth, and that's a, a metaphor or an allegory for those faithful to Christ before this time of Great Tribulation actually hits. Because the Great Tribulation is actually a period of three and a half years at the tail end of a seven-year peace treaty brokered by Antichrist. Now, would you say, okay, so at the light at the end of the tunnel, we hit the heaven on earth scenario, and you know about extraterrestrials, you know they're real. At that point, is that when we join the galactic family? Is that when they welcome us? Probably. Probably, but I, I also think that there's disclosure coming soon. Oh, yeah. That's going to be meant to uh, deceive. Okay. I think, so I, I've heard from various sources, governmental and whatnot, that there's an undercurrent, it'll be a dark disclosure, that this is uh, invading alien army, um, and we need to unite as one to fight the aliens. You know, you look at so many, look at most alien movies, if yeah. not all. That's like 80% e. of them. Yeah. That's kind of the they're, crux they're of those. They're all invaders. Right. They're, they're all, you know, anal probing everyone and beating <laughs> people up. And, you know, it, it's terrible. 
this this scenario. Um, but I can tell you from my experience, the ones I went with at four, they said, we serve the great king. And this is what's coming on the earth. And it was a pleasant experience. So I know that. And so another piece to that is the same sources that I heard from governmental agencies and whatnot. Government people, I should say. Sure. Uh, is that we have what's called an ARV, an alien reproduction vehicle, that look just like what we would expect an alien to fly around in. And they will be used and have been used for the last 50 years to cause abductions. Uh, these are the ones that have these really terrible experiences. Some government officially even admitted that some of these aliens are simply deformed humans that they've used to do this uh, mind screw, basically. Right. Psyop. On, on, on the population. So that when they do disclose, it's all, it ultimately comes back to command and control. The The big people that control everyone, really, oligarchs, um, are going to use this, really, as a way to unite the world to a common enemy. Because how else do you get everyone to stop having pissing matches over this and that unless you have an outside enemy that everyone needs to fight? So when this happens, yep. you know, when this is coming, and then you have somebody like the Antichrist figure, the world's united, should we be looking for that charismatic leader during that time that's trying to unite the world and we should potentially view that person as the potential Antichrist? Is, would you agree with that? Absolutely. Okay, we've got to keep you know, our eyes open. You, you need to keep your eyes open. And so what the telltale sign of this guy will be, and it will be a guy, is... He'll make a seven-year peace deal with Israel and the Shiite Muslim nations, including Russia. And that's happening when right he, now, actually. I, I've read recently. Uh, yeah, it's that's a whole other topic. Probably <laughs> takes a couple hours. Um, but yeah, I, but it's all prophecy fulfilled. Well, I'm going to let you go now because we're, we're I don't want to take up too much of your time. We've gone over two hours. You've been so generous, so gracious, so amazing. Thank you so much, Archbishop Clown, for giving us the time, all of our listeners around the world, to hear your story and about your work. And, and I feel like a lot of people are going to be enlightened by this. You know, they're going to send you emails. They're going to want to know about you more. We gave everybody the contact information. And I just want to say thank you. And also, we want to have you back on. We need to have you back Sounds on. Sounds good. You know, six months Sounds from good. now, within the next six months for a year, as world events progress... You know, as we move on, we want to have you back on. You are fit perfectly for the midnight on earth mold. <laughs> I'm telling you. Well, thank you so much, James. Is there anything, uh, one, any last words, any profound things you want to leave the audience with before we go? Just make sure that if you aren't in a place in your life that you're in right relationship with God to do so, because there are a lot of forces out in the world that, want to separate you from your creator and to diligently seek him because he wants to be found. Okay. And yes, let's just all sync up with God. Let's love each other. One of the greatest teachings, if not the greatest teaching for me, for Jesus, 
love each other. Can we do that, people? Yep. I think we can. Thank you so much, Archbishop Cloud. And You're welcome. You have a great night. Actually, let's keep you on the line. I'm going to keep talking okay. after this. We'll see you next episode, Midnight on Earth. All right.